You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah chapter 10, this is the last chapter, and of course, Jeremiah did not preach it in chapter breakdowns, but this is the last chapter of the sermon that Jeremiah was preaching at the, at the gate or at the entering in of the temple, chapter 7 through t- chapter 10. We talked about last week how it's so important for us to listen. Listen to what God has to say. And then we talked about uh, number two, learning. There's some things not to learn, verse number two. It says, learn not the way of the heathen. But then there's some things that God would have for us to learn. And I hope we're always learning. It's, uh, it'd be very sad if you were here tonight and if we were to ask you and say, uh, uh, when was the last time you learned something from your Bible reading, from a sermon, from a Sunday school class? Uh, when was the last time you learned something from the Word of God? It'd be very sad if you couldn't think of something you had learned. Because I'll tell you this, I have not learned all of the Bible. Not even close. As a matter of fact, the more I learn, the more I realize there's so much more I don't know and I need to learn. But God wants us to learn. Jesus himself, the Bible says that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. We are to be constantly growing. Grow in grace and in the what? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we must be learning. Then we talked about last week about the Lord. And in comparison with the false gods and the false idols and uh, really the foolishness of worshiping something that you made. Now you think about this. If you made it, it didn't make you. And if you, if you are the one that constructed it, it didn't form you in these idols that God's people were worshiping. And then we ended last week with the fact that our God is alive and well. Notice with me in chapter 10, in verse number 10, but the Lord, he is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble. And the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. I like to pick up with verse number uh, 15 is where we left off last week. And it says in verse 15, talking about those who make idols and those who make false gods. It says in verse 15, they are, what's the next word there? Vanity. And the work of, what's the next word? Errors. I'll tell you this, I don't want to live my life and have nothing to show for it except for vanity. Vanity is emptiness, it's uselessness, it's it's wasted living. I don't want to live my life just for vanity. I don't want to live my life just for errors and for things that aren't really true. Uh, Hold your place in Jeremiah 10 and go back with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Book of Ecclesiastes is right after the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. But it's interesting because in Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us some lessons about what really matters in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 2. Solomon says, I tried it all. 
I tried the fortune, I tried the fame, I tried the extravagant living. Of course, Solomon had many, many wives, and uh, he thought that that would bring satisfaction to him. But verse number two of chapter one, Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, you can try it out yourself if you want to. And you can try to experience it for yourself if you want to. I wouldn't recommend wasting your life and coming to the same conclusion that Solomon did that the, the things of this world, they don't matter. When you get to the end of your life, I'm going to give you an example. And I've, I've tried to be very careful with things like this because I think it's so fresh in our minds. And I don't want to sound cold or harsh. But I was reading this week. I did not watch the memorial service, but I was reading this week. They had a memorial service on Monday for Kobe Bryant. He's the NBA superstar that was killed several weeks ago in that helicopter crash. They, they talked about Kobe Bryant right after he uh, passed away in that accident. And he was 41 years old. He had a, one of the most successful NBA careers, five uh, NBA championships that he helped to win with the Los Angeles Lakers. And I think 17 out of 18 years in his career, he was an all-star. First of all, 18 years is a long time in the NBA to be able to play. But to be an all-star, 17 of 18 years, unbelievable. They talked about the multi, multi-millions of dollars that he was worth. They talked about the homes that he owned. The fact that most everywhere he traveled within Los Angeles, he traveled by private helicopter. We're talking about this helicopter. They said it was uh, the equivalent to the military version of the, the Black Hawk. It was safe. It was sound. Uh, it was the best of the best. And he did that to save himself time and to do all that, to spend more time with his family. But I read this week at his memorial service. Now, now think about this. Kobe Bryant had more money than you and I will ever dream about having. He had more stuff than anybody in this room would ever dream of having. Unless you're holding out on me. I think that's a true statement. I'm just looking around. I think so. But here's what they said. They said... His last great heroic deed that he did in his life. You ready for this? He was texting a friend of his trying to help a young lady who wanted to get a scholarship for, for baseball and get an internship into a baseball organization. And, and, and they, they talked about how that was it. The last thing he did before he died, he was trying to help somebody get a scholarship. He was trying to help somebody get a position. You know, it was, it, to me, it was very amazing to think that when it's all said and done, your cars don't matter. Your houses don't matter. Your bank accounts don't matter. But even from a secular viewpoint, they were saying that thing that he did to try to help somebody else, that's what really mattered. And friend, I want to tell you what really matters. What really matters is what we do for Christ what we do for eternity, what we do to make sure that others know for sure, not just to get a scholarship, but to know that others can have a home in heaven because we've shared the gospel with them. To think that we could send missionaries and we could run buses and we could teach Sunday school classes and we could bring up a generation that would know God. 
Friend, that's what matters. And it doesn't take listening to too many uh, Bill Gates or Steve Jobs while he was living. It doesn't take much to realize that you can have all the money in the world. And that does not bring you happiness. And you can achieve everything. You can win all the awards and all the accolades and all those things when it's all said and done. It's all empty. How come? Because it doesn't last. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But what matters is what we do for eternity. Notice verse number 15. Or excuse me. Go with me to Ecclesiastes 12. I didn't even get there yet. Ecclesiastes 1, Solomon said it's all vanity, all the money and all the fame and all the things and all the stuff. We get to Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 8. He wraps it all up and he says again, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. But then we get down to verse number 13. And Solomon says, let me tell you what really matters in life. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. All of life can be summed up into these two things right here. Number one, he said, fear God. That's what really matters when you have a proper fear and a proper reverence and a proper relationship with God. And by the way, we all will stand before God someday. That's why it's important to fear God. That's why it's important to know for sure that you're right with God, to know for sure that you're saved, that you've been born again. It says, fear God and keep his commandments. Just, just do what God has told you to do, for this is the whole duty. This is the whole responsibility of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I tell you, I don't want to live my life just for stuff and just for things and just for the temporal. I want to live my life for what is eternal. And Jeremiah warned back in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 15, he said all this stuff that God's people, they were living for, he said it's all vanity, it's the work of errors. But then notice verse number 16. Jeremiah says, but the portion or the possession of Jacob, of Israel, the thing that, that, that God's people had that they didn't even realize, he said the portion of Jacob is not like them. What God's people have is not what the world has. What God's people have is far better than anything of this world. He says the, a portion of Jacob, verse number 16, is not like them, for he is the former, he is the maker, the Bible says, of all things. And Israel is the rod of his inheritance. It goes on to say in verse number 16, the Lord of hosts. In case you're wondering what God's people have that the world does not have, Jeremiah says, let me tell you what his name is. His name is the Lord of hosts. Now, what does that mean? That is the name Jehovah Sabaoth. That name for God literally means that God is the God of all the armies. He is the Lord of hosts. We refer to the heavenly hosts or we refer to the angelic hosts. God is the God of all the armies. Jeremiah said, hey, when you got God on your side, you got nothing to worry about because he is the God of all the armies. I was reading uh, this week or last week, I forget, 
but someone shared an article about the five greatest armies in the world. Right now, the five greatest armies. And I don't know who wrote it, and I don't know necessarily, maybe it was just their opinion. But you know what I was looking for? What would you have been looking for in that article? I'd like to see where we were, you know? And I was really hoping we'd be at number one. I kind of felt like we would be. And sure enough, the United States of America listed number one. It compared navies and, and, uh, and aircraft and soldiers and all that stuff. And it said, United States, number one. I think Russia or China, one of those were two and the other was three. And one was India and one was Japan. And I don't know about the accuracy of all that. But I'll tell you this. You could put all those armies together. And you could put all the armies of the world together present day. And they do not have enough power to rival or to match the power of our God, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the hosts, the Lord of the armies. Hold your place in Jeremiah 10. Go with me, if you would, to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Oh, don't you love hearing those pages turn? I like hearing them turn, but 10 minutes after I've read the scripture, you know, I start to feel sorry. Sorry for the fact you couldn't find it. But fellas, just hand the Bible to your wife there. Let her help you find it there if you need to. I had my wife mark all these pages for me before the sermon, so it wouldn't take me too long. Psalm 24, verse 10. Who is this king of glory? Who are we talking about? Psalm 24, 10. The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Hallelujah. Look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse number 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Isn't that amazing to know that God, the Lord of the armies, he is with you. He is your refuge. He is a, a place where you can run. He's a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, we could be here all day, but we, we better not be. Psalm 69. Go with me to Psalm 69, please. Verse number 6. Psalm 69, 6. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. I'll tell you, when you have Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, on your side, there's no need to be ashamed. There's no need to be worried. There's no need to be confused or confounded. You can have confidence that God is on your side. And go with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, then we'll, we'll mosey back on over to Jeremiah 10. Isaiah chapter 6. This was a very difficult time for Isaiah. The Bible says in verse 1, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up in his train. His glory filled the temple. Notice with me, if you would, verse number three. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then we get to verse number five. Then said I, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. Now, I want to tell you, God's power does not change. God's power is not limited. But you know what's limited? Our vision of God. God has not lost his power. God has not lost his ability, but God's people have taken their eyes off of him. And boy, we get our eyes on so many other things, don't we? Boy, our problems seem so big and our trials seem so hard and we just don't know how we can make it. That's why the songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Let's recognize who he is. He is the Lord of the hosts. Jeremiah 10, verse number 17. Jeremiah says, gather up thy wares out of the land. He said, get your stuff together, folks. Verse 18, for thus saith the Lord, behold, I will sling out. Literally, God says, I'm gonna throw you out. Now, I hope you haven't had to say that recently in your house, but maybe jokingly, you know, to an in-law or jokingly to a family member, you say, now, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to throw you out of here. Well, God's not joking. He says, you might as well get your stuff together because I'm getting ready to sling you out. I'm getting ready to throw you out, verse number 17, and uh, uh, out of the inhabitants of the land at this once and will distress them that they may find it so, that word distress there, there's, there's trouble coming, uh, there's, there's problems coming. Verse number 18, for thus saith the Lord, I'll sling out the inhabitants. Verse 19, Jeremiah said, woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous, but I said, truly this is a grief and I must bear it. Now, remember what we've said about Jeremiah from the beginning. Jeremiah could have been rejoicing. Ha ha, serves you right. You wouldn't listen to me. You laughed at me. You mocked me. You persecuted me. You're getting what's coming. He could have done that. But every time you see a, a, a view of Jeremiah and his response, it's a, a response of compassion. He was broken. He was burdened for his people. He said, this is a grief. This is, this is a sorrow. Jeremiah said, and I've got to bear it. I've got to deal with this, that, that God's people, my people are being judged and being, uh, being removed from this land. Verse number 20, my tabernacle is spoiled. That word tabernacle literally is the word dwelling or a tent. My tabernacle is spoiled and all my cords are broken. The, the cords are literally the, the ropes or the strings that would secure a tent in place. But then he says this, my children are gone forth of me and they are not. Now it's interesting because we, we just found that phrase as we studied the life of Joseph. Remember when Jacob uh, was talking about his, his sons and he said, uh, you know, uh, Simeon is gone and Joseph is not N-O-T and now you want to take Benjamin away too? Literally, Jeremiah is talking about the children of the people of Judah and he said, the children are not, they're, they're not here. Now, there's two reasons for that. Because when the Babylonians would come, number one, there would be many children that would be killed. There would be many children that would lose their lives because of the war and because of the, the violence and because of the tragedy. 
And let me make the spiritual application. When God's people backslide, when God's people go astray, it affects our children. Uh, there, are, there are children who, who, because their parents or because their grandparents got away from God, there are children who missed out on the blessing and missed out on the opportunities and missed out on being in church and being in Sunday school because of the, uh, the spiritual condition of the generation before them. But there were some that were killed. There were some in the, in the war that, that would lose their lives, but there were others that were taken captive. Remember, when you get to the book of Daniel, we read about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Daniel? These, these young men, these, these captives that were taken, they were young, they were youthful, and against their will, they were taken into Babylon as slaves and as captives. And I'll tell you this, spiritual application, when we get away from God, our children many times suffer the consequences. I'm not saying our children uh, are, are, are judged for our sins because I believe in individual responsibility. But can I tell you, there's a generation, I believe, of young people being held captive by the world because they've not experienced the freedom that they can have in Jesus Christ. There's a generation that they're captive to the world's music, they're captive to the world's uh, entertainment. They're captive to the world's philosophy. And they don't know different because mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or somebody got away from God and allowed the enemy to come in and to take those children captive, spiritually speaking. Jeremiah said, the children are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore and to set up my curtains. Uh, uh, those that would, their children would help them in setting up the tents and setting up the tabernacles. He, said, he says the children are gone. They're, they're not here. And uh, what a sad, sad commentary. But notice verse 21. It says, for the pastors are become brutish. We've talked about that word brutish before. But that word, it literally, uh, it has the idea of being dull-hearted. Uh, there, there's, no, there's no care, there's no concern, there's no sensitivity to the things of God. It's just we've tuned God out long enough and nothing phases us anymore. Now this word pastors, in the Old Testament, this word pastors, we're not talking about the pastor of a local called out assembly like we use that word in the New Testament. This word pastors certainly could apply to someone like me but this word is literally, it's the word for leaders. And Jeremiah said the pastors, the leaders, the people who should be leading the way, they should be setting the direction, they have become brutish. And notice what it goes on to say, and have not sought the Lord. Now, you're not off the hook just because it says pastors, because you are a leader in some capacity, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your family, whether it's in some ministry. But all of us, we have a responsibility because somebody's following in our footsteps. It may be a child, maybe a grandchild, it may be uh, a, some, a bus route, maybe a Sunday school class, it may be uh, some younger adults in this church that are looking to you and following your example. But here's the problem time out. 
the leaders, those who were supposed to be setting the direction for God's people, they were no longer even seeking God themselves. And if you're trying to lead somebody and you're not seeking God for yourself, you have no business trying to lead anybody else. And I have no business trying to lead anybody else if I'm not following the Lord. Paul said it this way. He said, be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. And we have people who are following, but we've got to make sure we are following Christ, that we are seeking God. The pastors have not sought the Lord. Therefore, now this isn't obvious. It should be. Therefore, they shall not prosper. You're not going to prosper. You're not going to be successful. I'm not going to be successful if we're not following the Lord. That's why Matthew 6, in the New Testament says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You don't seek the Lord. There's no, there's no success in sight for you. And all their flocks, all their, the people that are following them, the people that they're responsible for shall be scattered. Wow, what a responsibility we have to seek the Lord. I'm talking to men. Uh, who, who ought to be the leaders in the home. You have a responsibility to seek the Lord. I'm talking about ladies in this room. You have a responsibility to seek the Lord and, 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 and for your children and for those who are coming after us. We have a responsibility to seek the Lord. Verse 22, behold, the noise of the brute is come up. That word B-R-U-I-T in verse number 22 is literally uh, the word for a report or an announcement. Behold, the noise of the announcement is come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. We've discussed that terminology already. It literally means uh, uh, the, only, the only wildlife, the only animals that would be left would be wild dogs. The jackals would be the only ones that would inhabit Judah because of the desolation of war and destruction. Say, wow, pastor, thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> wow, that was wonderful. That really pet me up on a Wednesday night. Well, hang on, we're not done yet. We'll get to the good part. Verse 23. So Jeremiah says this. He says, the destruction's coming to God's people. They have not sought the Lord and uh, they, they, they have not prospered. So verse 23, Jeremiah prays this prayer. He says, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. He said, Lord, I know that the way I'm supposed to go, it is not in me. I can't figure it out. I can't lead my own way. I can't chart my own course. I know that it's not in me. It's not in man himself. It says it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Very true. Then we get to verse number 24, and Jeremiah says, O Lord, correct me. Now, those are easy words to read. Those are very hard words to say. You say, no, they're not, okay. Try it when you get home tonight. Ask your spouse, say, would you please correct me after he, you know, passes out or faints away and you know all that 
And then he says, now, no, seriously. And you're, no, really. I want you to correct me. I want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can fix it. Imagine if your teenager came home tonight after church and said that. You'd say, okay, what's the catch? What do you want? I mean, you know something's up, right? But Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm, I'm being sincere. I'm honest. I want you to correct me, but with judgment. Not in thine anger. He says, Lord, I don't want to experience your anger and your wrath. <laughs> if you did, Lord, I'd, there wouldn't be nothing left. You, you, I'd be brought to nothing. He said, verse 25, I want you to pour out your fury upon the heathen that know thee not and upon the families that call not on thy name for they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him and made his habitation desolate. Lord, I want you to pour out your judgment upon the heathen. But Lord, before you do that to me, and so you don't have to do that to me. Lord, would you please show me what in my life needs to be fixed? Now, it's amazing how this dovetails with Sunday night. Remember, we talked about Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where David prayed and said, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jeremiah, he sees how God's people were so backslidden, and he said, Lord, please don't let this happen to me. God, before it gets to that point, would you please correct me? Would you please show me what needs to be fixed in my life? Now, most of us in this room, if we're honest, most of us do not like correction. I was reading, and I've, I'd heard this before, and I was reading some about this today. But Benedict Arnold, you know that name, and it is literally, it's synonymous now with a traitor, someone you cannot trust. But Benedict Arnold, there were a lot of factors in why he became a traitor during the uh, War for Independence. But one of the things that's, well, I'll tell you one of the things that everybody agrees on because of who he married. Everybody agrees. They said one of the problems with Benedict Arnold was because he married someone who was not just a sympathizer, but was very much in support of the opposing army. And I thought, well, that's a good reminder for our young people. And it's a good reminder for us as parents to make sure that uh, we pray for our children to marry the right person. Uh, boy, you, we, don't know, we don't know trouble until you have in-law trouble, right? And you want your children to marry right. But one of the things they said about Benedict Arnold was he got in some trouble and it was kind of, it was kind of debatable if he really was guilty or not. And some of it was a little bit of a, a power struggle with uh, some of the powers that existed at the time and all that. But, but he, he got in some trouble and George Washington who was very close with Benedict Arnold. They were very close, and Benedict Arnold was a great leader in, in, in the military working under George Washington. But because of some of the things he got involved in, George Washington, and, and here's the quote, they said he had to, he felt like he needed to lightly reprimand Benedict Arnold. And you know what's amazing? Historians, some believe that that was a factor and why he would sell out his country just because somebody, his superior, who had every right to do so, tried to lightly reprimand him about something he'd done. And I'll tell you this, 
Nobody likes to receive correction, but we all need it. And sometimes that correction is going to come from another Christian who's going to lovingly and kindly and compassionately say, hey, what's the problem? Is everything okay? I haven't seen you at church. I haven't, I haven't seen you uh, uh, doing these things that you used to do and we used to do together. Is everything okay? And you have, at that point, you have a choice to make. You can bristle. You can get mad. You can lash out. And you can get upset. And you can get bitter. And you can do all that. Or you can say, praise God, I have somebody that cares enough about me to want to help me. When that happens at work or when that happens... Uh, at home. By the way, if you if you are married tonight, I hope that your spouse would feel like that they could talk to you about something that's a problem. And if your spouse can't talk to you about something that is a problem, then you've got a problem. Because we all need correction. But I'll say this, every one of us ought to be able to receive correction from the Holy Spirit of God. And again, most people won't pray this prayer, Lord, correct me, because I'll tell you, the Lord's gonna find some things that need correcting. And the Lord's gonna show you some things that are not right. Maybe it's something that's a secret sin. Maybe it's something that you've just, it's become a habit in your life. Maybe it's something obvious. Maybe it's something hidden, but God will show you. And Jeremiah said, Lord, would you please correct me? Would you please show me now? before it's too late. And the, the challenge tonight is, would you let God correct you and would you let God help you and discipline you before it's too late? I had in college, I know there was a couple, but I know of one in particular. I, I, I know that this teacher did this. But the teacher, for a report, the teacher encouraged us he said, I want you to turn in a rough draft for your, I think this was a nine-page paper or whatever. Oh, I remember when nine-page papers, Caleb, you remember when like nine-page papers seemed like a lot? And, you know, they would assign those, you know, throughout the semester. And I thought, man, that's a lot of work. And then I became a pastor, you know. And it's every week, it's sermons and lessons and all that. I love it, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, it takes some work. And, uh, I remember one teacher, Brother Graham, one teacher was so kind, most of the students didn't realize how kind this teacher was being. But the teacher said, if you will submit a rough draft by such and such a date, the teacher said, I will make corrections. I will give it back to you. You can complete the finishing touches and turn it back in. And I think the, the rough draft counted as like a quiz grade. But the final draft, I mean, that was a test grade. And you know what's amazing? Is not everybody turned in the rough draft. And you want to say, wait a minute, that's the best time to get the corrections made when it doesn't kill your grade, when it's a little bit easier, when it's not quite as, as severe. But you know, many times in our Christian lives, I'm afraid we're not willing to turn in the rough draft. And say, Lord, would you please show me some things now before it's too late? Would you show me some things before my heart gets too hard? Would you show me some things, Lord, before I get out of church? 
or before I get away from you or before I get involved in things that I should not be involved in. And Jeremiah prays and says, oh, Lord, correct me. And Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Jeremiah said, I, I can't figure out which way I'm supposed to go. But Lord, I need you to direct me. and I need you to lead. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.